0: Welcome into episode number 108 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. Noah Grant alongside Nick Maxon, as always here on this Sunday, April 17th of 2022 in at least that's when you'll be hearing this. That's when it's coming out. But we are recording right in the middle of the Minnesota wild game here on Saturday just after four o'clock. And it hasn't been much of a game for the wild against a team that no. they're probably going to be matching up against in the first round. So we'll dissect a little bit related to that in our extra ice session. As far as the regular portion of the show, a lot of interesting news and notes in the center ice view news and notes section, including some college hockey related to St. Cloud state, I uh, kind of a look around the league. There hasn't been a whole lot going on in the NCAA, hockey but a couple notable things to talk about but really influencing the trend westward and the trend south in college hockey uh good things for the college hockey world maybe not so much for the nhl world maybe down uh over yonder in arizona and of course great tidbits and things you won't want to miss for some milestone things and such in the huskies illustrated weekly roundup and that's what we'll start right now center ice view news and notes center ice view provides you with the best coverage of st cloud state huskies hockey from game notes recaps photos and more go to centericeview.com
1: Illustrated Weekly Roundup Noah and well, when it comes to the National Hockey League, when it rains, it pours. And what we're talking about is um, an independent investigation um, into the NHLPA. And again, this is going back to the Chicago Blackhawks and the Kyle Beach situation. No, that has not uh, been finished yet. So. Um, The latest findings were released just yesterday. um, And the the law firm conducting this independent review was uh, Cozen O'Connor. And and effectively, the nothing burger that came out of this, no one I think that's um, (laughs) really what you know, as as kind of really the conversation is with a lot of people right now is just really nothing was really found to be at fault. Um, It was sort of a you know, kind of like a point of the finger um, to the left and that's everybody around the circle. Um, but effectively, one of the quotes uh, in the statement read this. So, you know, we cannot identify um, any individual wrongdoing or institutional failures of policy or procedure by either um, fair. They're talking about NHL. Um, Executive Director Donald Fair, um, NHLPA personnel or the SABH program concerning the handling of Beach's reports. Uh, Beach's warnings about Aldrich were not addressed on account of miscommunication and misunderstanding rather than any individual or systemic failure. Um, so, yeah, mm. again, a nothing burger. Effectively, if you read through that, Um, obviously, you know, this has been uh, quite the storyline around the NHL uh, the last probably 18 months. You know, after all this kind of came forward uh, again in in 2013 was when a lot of this started to make headways. About Ulrich Chicago, then immediately placed Kyle Beach on loan to Sweden. So again, it was the player or the victim in this case, and not the you know as the perpetrator that uh, got really uh, the brunt uh, of the consequences. And no, I kind of want to get your your take on this. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Again, another failure um, this time by the organized body that's supposed to represent the players Mm um i'm just curious as to your take on uh, on this statement
0: i well the word that always comes to mind i think for this is shameful uh you know but beyond that uh the thing that's most difficult about this and by and large when you talk about donald fair and the work that he's done for the nhlpa by and large i think he has done a good job but unfortunately, his position or someone near to him is kind of someone who's supposed to be on the chopping block for something like this. Uh, if anything, as a representative, a proxy, whatever you want to call it, f- for an incident like this, to show that the game is maybe going to to be getting better and, you know, developing in the right direction, saying, you know, hey, we messed up here uh, and we're going to hold X, Y and Z accountable. That that didn't happen here, unfortunately. Now, no. How much did the NHLPA really factor into this? I'm not here to say one way or the other. I'm not that well-versed in it. So, um, But on the surface, a, a real lack of accountability, I think it's when we went through Chicago's investigation for the Jenner and Block and opened up the Blackhawks organization, it was like pulling teeth. And it's disappointing to know that now another entity, another step, the NHLPA, and by extension, the NHL it's like going to the dentist chair all over again with this stuff. That's the part that, that is just awful is we talk about growing the game. We talk about being better. We talk about all these initiatives that we're going to do this and that. And then you get a report like this that basically says, yeah, but it, it's not going to be us. It, it's going to be the next group. They'll do it. We didn't do anything wrong. The next group will do it. Um, honestly, best comparison kind of sounds like politicians, to be honest with you, in a lot of sense, it's somebody else's problem, but it's not mine, you know, and just, awful i think
1: really and i think obviously a lot of eyes will be on the nhlpa the nhl um as the the bigger bodies as uh, we know chicago at least the organization made some sweeping changes uh, after yeah. that block and gender report although uh, let's just say uh ceo rocky works has also rocked a few boats uh there afterwards again with a really lack of transparency in terms of now how do you prevent this from happening again? And I don't think anybody, whether it's the Blackhawks organization, the NHLPA or the NHL has really addressed any of how they would prevent this sort of thing from happening again. I think that's the most shameful part about this whole thing, Noah is, yeah, what happened was awful to Kyle beach. And well, you know, you kind of, you, you hope that, um, you know, this sort of thing doesn't happen again, but until you really give us the the hockey fan um or even just the people right just something there's still a lot left to be dissected from this and surely will not be the last time we hear about the kyle beach situation unfortunately um still still a lot of things a lot of work to do around the nhl
0: yeah rocky Rocky words boat is one boat that if it flips over nobody help him get back into it
1: please right (laughs) uh yeah uh just ask him, Mark Lazarus at The Athletic. I think he'll be the first <laughs> one there. Um, another yawn. Uh, the NHL Winter Classic yeah. um, was announced uh, for 2023, this time taking place at Fenway Park, uh, January 2nd of this time, uh, which is interesting. Usually it's a January 1st game. They've actually pushed it back one day. Yeah. Um, so this is interesting. Um, but six outdoor game. It's, it's it's Penguins and uh, Bruins, as you said before I go into the next tidbit. Mm-hmm. sixth game outdoors for Pittsburgh, fifth for Boston, uh, second winter classic at Fenway park. And I believe the only venue so far to hold multiple winter classics uh, yeah. ruins beat Philadelphia two to one back in overtime back in 2010. I believe that was the first ever winter classic. No, Um was no. not. Okay. Buffalo, Buffalo. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Buffalo
0: Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh was part of the first ever classic though, but it's weird though, because so January 1st of 2023 uh, is a Sunday. So yeah. why why would you not want a game on a on a Sunday?
1: You know what I mean. Reasons, I guess. I don't know. So, <laughs> so. uh, you know, numbers, right? But speaking of numbers, Noah, uh, some interesting numbers here. Uh, Minnesota Wild uh, transitioning a little bit to the hometown squad. Um, a, uh, a a obscene gesture has turned uh, to be quite the charity fundraiser. Uh, th- almost $40,000 last time we checked here is around $37,000 um, that was raised. Now it kind of ended up being uh, at first that uh, there was a lot of fans that somehow found his Venmo account <laughs> and uh, basically offered to pay um, the fine that he uh, received from the NHL for the obscene jester. For those who haven't seen the video, it's quite hilarious. Um, <laughs> and uh, with that, uh, Ryan Hartman has, uh, has raised almost 40 grand now he's actually chipping some of his own money uh to to donate to a children's hospital twin Cities. so um one uh small negative turned into a very big positive so pretty cool yeah speaking of speaking of big positives
0: i know that um for those like we talked about as we're tracking the minnesota wild game first of all it's funny to see uh evander kane's ex-wife uh donate 200 bucks into that but uh Nick hot off the press here, uh, at four 25 in the afternoon, Kuroka Prizov has just broken the franchise record for most goals in a single season, actually just scoring uh, in the third period of the lose game. So kind of a cool little milestone as well, too. I just, a lot of good things going on for the Minnesota wild. Like we talked about, we'll touch on them in the extra ice session, but, uh, yeah, hopefully they can find their way back against St.
1: Louis. Of course, those of you listening know the result already, but we'll see. We don't. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, College hockey news. Uh, how about this? Jerry York, a longtime head coach at, uh, at Boston, uh, at Boston's college, I should say, a uh, retiring now 50 seasons, um, behind the home. He's 76 years old. So he's had quite the run. Uh, unbelievable, right? So 28, uh, so, His entire coaching career, let's put it this way, 28 seasons at BC, 15 with Bowling Green, seven at Clarkson, 1,123 victories, 41 of which came in the NCAAs, four national championships at Boston one at Bowling Green, so five national titles to his name. Uh, He's only one of three coaches in NCAA history to win national titles at two different schools. Um, The Bowling Green one was 1984, so that one goes back even before I exist, which not (laughs) a lot can happen with that. (laughs) <laughs> um hall of fame inductee uh in, in 2019 as a builder uh and the uh, late michigan head coach of vic is a highligger highligger yeah highligger yeah holds the record for the most ncaa championships as well with six so he's one shy of that but quite the career and you know quite the quite the name there that's uh, exiting college hockey not just boston college and out east uh he was a very fundamental uh fundamental name out there uh as far as college hockey is concerned Um, yeah
0: yeah he was i just an incredible career and it really touched the lives of a lot of people around him and uh you know a lot of nhlers especially you know kind of in recent area i mean you throw matt boldy in there obviously but you know johnny gaudreau kevin hayes guys like that and kind of that the the 2010s to 2015s that era especially really has been the new wave o babies for the nhl that aren't so much babies anymore actually you know come to come to think of it uh so a, a very impressive career that he he has had and you know I think it's one thing, too, uh, you know, him and I think Red Berenson is probably the other name that you would throw in there as kind of the guys that have really stood the test of time in college hockey. It's it feels weird to kind of finally see that, you know, that turnover. Now we're starting to see th- the new generation, so to speak, really turn turnover, uh, not only in college hockey, but the NHL as well, too. Right. Sidney Crosby, Alex Ovechkin, they're starting to get hit. Their age as well too, so uh, eras are starting to decline and new superstars, like krokoprizov are starting to uh, take over in the college hockey and NHL world. So, uh,
1: wishing Jerry the best of luck in retirement. Seventy-six years old, a long time to coach hockey. I think he's earned plenty of uh, beaches and margaritas uh, in his <laughs> in his time off. Uh, finally, some uh, junior hockey news. Are the youth com- stuff? Yeah, right, youth stuff in the <laughs> CHL. So the Canadian hockey leagues. Uh, Michael, is it Miza? I think so. My Misa. Misa um, either nice. way. He's uh, good at hockey. I hear. Yeah, very good. In fact, he's so good. He's going to be the sixth OHL player in history to be granted exceptional player status at age 15. So what does that mean for those who don't know that? That means I think, was it 16 is your draft eligible yep. uh, year. And basically they're saying you're so good. We'll let you go in at 15, right? So they have a draft. It works similar to the NHL draft and there you go. So, eligible now for the 2022 OHL draft. Um, others who've names, you may have heard of some of these, you know, that were granted this exceptional status. How about this? John Tavares, Aaron Ackblad, Connor McDavid, Shonday, and Shane Wright. And Shane Wright is uh, NHL draft eligible this year. Um, and he's going to be probably the presumed one overall pick. So um, how about that, right? Um, How about this? Connor Bedard, also the only player in the WHL to receive this distinction. Joe Valeno, um, the only QMJHL. Now, again, for those who don't know, the WHL, the QMJHL, and the OHL are all part of the CHL umbrella, so all part of that same sort of CHL league. Um, So that's pretty crazy. Um, Draft for the OHL um, for this is April 29th, so just a couple weeks away. Yeah,
0: just a couple of weeks away. Uh, normally, you don't track things live on the show, Nick. The Wild just scored again. It is now 4-3, to three, so maybe we should keep doing the oh show because it, it seems like it's working. I uh, uh, Speaking of things that are working, uh, in, in our final topics here for the Weekly Roundup, Transaction News, Tampa Bay signing backup Netminder Brian Elliott to a one-year deal for next season. Uh, random uh, hockey question for you, Nick. Where did Brian Elliott play his college hockey? Do you remember?
1: I want to say I do. Was it B.C.? wisconsin he was a badger actually He's A badger yeah i believe maybe that's why i don't recognize the name because i don't pay attention to to the red i that's believe okay.
0: i believe he was part of that national championship team in 2006 if i'm not mistaken i probably am uh, but i do remember brian elliott the only reason i know that is because when i was a kid he was the first wisconsin netminder that i remember so um thought i'd pause that one out there to you
1: also breaking news noah on that right hartmickle Matt zuccarella gets this 51st assist so he breaks a Minnesota wild franchise record with most assists in a season, previously held by Pierre Marc Bouchard with 50. So two records broke on the same day. Also that?
0: fun, fun factor. Matt Zuccarell, Matt Zuccarell also tallied his 500th career point uh, today as well too. So what's going on here? I don't like this. <laughs> yeah. Um, Is it, some, yeah, something's gonna happen to me. I'm telling you later. There's a there's a full moon tonight, isn't there? Anyway, uh, something. Uh speak, uh things that aren't going to be moving uh, in any direction for some people, although Ben Myers did leave the University of Minnesota to sign with Colorado. Oh, uh, boy. Los, Los Angeles's Brock Faber and Toronto's Maddie Nice are gonna return to Minnesota and the Golden Gophers next season. So um something to keep an eye on. I think this gopher squad is getting ready to reload very quickly with a very good incoming freshman class. Yes, they do. Uh, I champion by I oh, I forget his name I just had him up here uh who is the, the Logan top, Cooley yeah Logan Cooley who who decommitted from Notre Dame and is now going to Minnesota and is a top five to top 10 potential pick in this year's draft he's an absolute stud so probably the best centerman in the draft this year to be honest with you so um other players in college hockey Johnny Beecher and Thomas Bordelow of Michigan the Wolverines um both signing with Boston and San Jose in the NHL respectively so a couple other college guys getting their paydays um Sadder news, we did have a passing in the hockey world, if you missed this one, four-time Stanley Cup champion. uh, Essentially one of the most prolific pure goal scorers in NHL history. Actually holds the record for the best Goals per game clip in NHL history at 0.76 goals per game. Mike Bossy, he passed away at the age of 65 from lung cancer. He had to step away uh, from his role as a TV analyst earlier this season. Um, his playing career was not not that long-lived. Actually had a bunch of 50-goal seasons. was on pace for another one until a back injury kind of s- side-railed his career at like 30 or 31. So 10 years in the show, 573 goals and 1,126. Nice. Yeah, it's it's just incredible. That's so nuts. Yeah, so 1991 Hall of Fame inductee, uh, winning the Calder, Conn Smythe, and Lady Bing trophies, and his number 22 was retired by the Islanders in 1992. Nick Maxon struggling here in the camera game, apparently. Had to switch cameras halfway through. We have some gremlins here today, none of which apparently St. Louis just scored again. It's now 5-3, and uh, on top of that, or Ryan Hartman is now credited with that goal that we thought went to Kaprizov. So a lot of things... Uh, Not making sense, but what we do know, Mike Bossy, one of the best players uh, of his era uh, and in all of National Hockey League history, passing away at 65, Nick, uh, you know, uh, do you you remember kind of tributes to Mike Bossy, you know, when you were a kid, maybe, you know, he had the Hall of Fame induction in 1991, but obviously his legacy has continued throughout New York island Islanders history for a long time.
1: Not really specifically him, uh, as far as tributes are concerned, but I do know that, you know, when you talk about Islanders uh, hockey in terms of some of the all time greats, his name was always in that conversation. Um, you know, going back to the Islanders dynasty, you know, was it the early 80s, right? Where they had like the fourth, was it fourth straight Stanley yeah, Cup? Fourth straight. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, holy cow. Uh yeah, so Mike Bossy again just uh more about his demeanor off the ice too. Um just how he carried himself as well. So just a phenomenal human being. Um obviously fantastic hockey player and it's, uh definitely a, a piece of Islanders' um hearts will will be will be missed here with with this loss unfortunately. Yeah, of course uh, you know, scored scored the
0: overtime uh Overtime winner to be Toronto uh, back in uh, back in the day. Uh, one of the biggest goals uh, in history for that franchise as well, too. So uh, obviously wishing his family nothing but the best, like you mentioned, as as we continue to move forward, uh, moving forward. Our final topic, injury news, some good news, some bad news. I. Uh, The good news, uh, Vegas' Mark Stone returned after missing 26 games, so good for him to see him back on the ice, although uh, the cap situation becomes uh, question marks uh, for Vegas moving forward. Uh, And Montreal seeing Carey Price back in the net for the first time since last season, so uh, good to see him getting a standing ovation there however montreal losing a couple of bodies uh none of which of course jake allen uh losing him for the season in net uh, as well as defenseman justin Barron. so montreal just a tough tough season for the canadians i uh, a lot of net miners actually kind of in this little segment here Penguins netminder, Tristan Jari, week to week, right before the playoffs. So Casey DeSmith is going to be relied on pretty heavily as they approach their playoff run. Uh Dallas goaltender Braden Holtby could potentially miss the rest of the year as well. And Robin Lehner is away uh, personally for a health issue uh, involving his family members. So wishing uh him and his family the best of luck. Uh in player injuries for outskaters, we just have two from vancouver both of them bo harva uh, is going to miss at least two weeks with a leg injury after blocking a shot and niels hoglander out indefinitely after a core muscle groin tear welcome into episode number 108 it has been a rip-roaring start for us it is i don't know what is going on here but for those of you who just missed the huskies illustrated weekly roundup um Things don't make any, things don't make any sense, honestly. No. Uh, so what, what, what does make sense? You are here episode number 108 We're recording this on Saturday at the tail end of the Minnesota wild game. Sunday this show comes out, and then next Sunday we will not actually have a show. We will not have a show through the rest of the month of April. Nick and I are going to take a week off for some personal things and some travel things uh, for Nick continuing his job search, myself finishing, uh, getting ready for finals, uh, moving into the school year as well. So what does that mean? We're going to be back on – basically around May 1st, uh, a day before the start of the NHL playoffs. So we're going to give you kind of a primer in the extra ice session to talk Minnesota wild. And uh, we're going to kind of try to wrap up some college hockey things and kind of give you uh, some things to look forward to for the summer as well, too. Uh, So, Nick, um, as we're powering through the show here, let's start with college hockey. Let's start with our St. Cloud State Huskies, shall we? Uh, Trivia question for today. Our second to last trivia of season three was today. And, of course, Tinner Heath was our winner. He's going to take home season three of trivia regardless of the result. Next week, he got this question right. Question did read. Recent graduates for St. Cloud State men's hockey are having a great start to their pro careers. Uh, Two years ago, a graduating class of five finished college hockey how many of those five players from the huskies played pro hockey and who were they so nick the year that you and i were actually in person at the herb brooks national hockey center five graduates on that roster how many of them played professional hockey
1: so jake wallen was one of them he went to play in the ec um wasn't uh all five didn't all five make it you are correct all
0: five did make it uh playing in a range essentially from the nhl ahl echl or the sphl the southern professional hockey league Uh jack paling his brother nick uh jake wall and like you mentioned jack ashon and clark custer was custer, the fifth yeah. one as well too so um wishing all those guys uh, the best of luck wherever life is taking them at the current moment. But our current St. Cloud state Huskies preparing for the 2002 23 season, adding a couple of bodies here, Nick, uh, I, you know, when, when you think about, when you think about the additions for St. Cloud, we talked about how Grant Kirkshank, first of all, would be a really great addition to this team. If anything, a good score down the middle, somebody who could play a top six role. I, uh, had a good relationship with Brett Larson, almost came to St. Cloud last year, 15 points last season, a good faceoff guy, although he did play mostly wing and a plus eight rating. I uh, what a great
1: pickup for St. Cloud. Big pickup. Uh, not the biggest kid in the world, but uh, he's got some offensive upside. Um, I think there was uh, to put it to you this way. um there's some other talent that was around uh, Minnesota that probably dropped in further down the lineup. He'll definitely be a top six forward here for St. Cloud state as they go through a bit of a retool or a reload, I should say. Um, And there could be some really nice young pieces uh, for that. He could be playing with. that could be quite electric if he's able to, uh, to fit in well with the lineup. So great pickup. The leadership obviously is their former. um, I shouldn't say, was he a former captain with CC? Oh, that's a great question. I can elite prospects know, them very quickly. I know. <laughs> I know Brian. I know Brian. has been their captain the last two seasons, so maybe, maybe I'm thinking of well, somebody else. Find, we're about to find out um, in about five hot seconds. But uh, you know, but what much a prolific needed depth. Score. Yeah, yeah. and a much needed depth down the middle, as the Huskies are really uh, missing some center depth in their lineup right now. Nick, you were. Uh,
0: You were actually right on it. He was actually a captain for two seasons for Colorado College.
1: I thought he was. Okay. So
0: you you were right there. Uh, The other body that St. Cloud did add on the back end, and this is actually a slightly younger body, only going to be a junior this season, Dylan Anhorn coming over from Union. Seven goals, 13 assists, 20 points. Now, adding uh, to the roster with nine defensemen that are expected to be on the roster at minimum for St. Cloud state union finishing seventh out of 11 teams in the ECAC last year, but he finished, uh, like I said, with 20 points on a team that went 14, 19 and four. So maybe some underlying numbers that might kind of be a diamond in the rough type player uh, that might add some, some depth for this group. Uh, Nick, uh, this is obviously as not, uh, uh, as well known of a name as Grant Crookshank. So can you kind of walk us through what the thinking from Brett Larson, the coaching staff is for adding a defenseman of this
1: caliber? So uh, let me give you two names that all Huskies fans should know as a really hub of Jimmy Schultz and Jack as um, who I know, right. Um, <laughs> and then you know, even more recently, Nick Purbix, um, you need some more offense from the blue line effectively. Um, I think there's, there's kind of been a hole in terms of a shooting threat from the defensive end. Um, as much as Nick Perbix was really good offensively, he was more of a feet first offensive player. He really wasn't a shooting threat. He was a good playmaker, good creator of space. Uh, but that's not a shooting threat. And I think they're really missing this. Um, Chants are coming in from uh, union as I lose my voice. We're losing everything today. No, I can't believe it. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, seriously. ironically enough, as soon as you mentioned that Marcus Felino just scored. So. so five, four now. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. This, the, the world is coming to an end at some point today. Yeah. Nuts. Um, someone is, you know, pulling the strings somewhere and it's just nuts. Um, <laughs> but you know, that's, and, and you know, if you can add a little bit more pizzazz and, you know, and I think what really is, is, is throwing this to you is, can you imagine, what if there was any one particular special teams unit that kind of really fell off toward the end of last season? Maybe the power play unit. Um, you know, Spencer Meyer has a cannon of a shot. Uh, we know that, all, although I don't think they really used it as much. Um, they've tried using four forwards, and then obviously when you have. No uh, longer, no longer the likes of Sam Henshaw too. I think you need a little bit more firepower on your back end, and so this is kind of where I think the thinking comes into play. Um, good mobile defensive from some of the film I've seen of him. Um, so a little bit of offense, definitely some footwork because um, again the Huskies continuing to try to match a lot of the young influx that's going to happen, especially with North Dakota coming up, um, yeah. you're going to have to match speed for speed. So um, I think that's exactly um, why Brett Larson goes out and pick up this player. And I think it's a good one, at least on paper. Um, we'll obviously have to see how he does when he actually puts on a sweater for the first time. Actually kind of interesting, you know, maybe he's maybe
0: a second power play unit defenseman along with Spencer Meyer. And maybe you give Jack Peard and Josh Litke some growing pains, so to speak, and see if they can run with that first power play unit. Or maybe, you know, one of those guys is paired with a forward up top, maybe like Yami Kranala, a guy who's good along the half wall that has some good speed and good recovery potentially as well, too. Grant Cruikshank, who knows? Uh, you know, a lot of things, obviously, to look forward to this defensive core really has the potential should the young guys make the jump to really be a good strength for the St. Cloud team and we might see a different group I know the Huskies have really kind of been predominantly a team that essentially uh goes back oh hey would you look at that Nick the Wild just scored again it is five five five. it is five five and it is Kirill Kaprizov
1: as far as we know
0: for now as far as we know from who else but Matt Zuccarello uh potentially for a (laughs) franchise It's record-breaking 43rd goal. I have no idea. This is nuts. But speaking of goals, uh, we're just going to keep plugging on the show because apparently it's working. Um, St. Cloud has really been known as that type of team that is not really running gun but really kind of speed and skill-based and relying on that a little bit more than their grit, really kind of working from the front end forward instead of relying on their back end so much this team mm-hmm. might have a different identity where they might rely a little bit more on their defensive core maybe a couple performances from dominic bassy or the other goaltending uh, tandems whatever they may be and really focusing on taking care of their half of the ice and then trying to get the forwards integrated and up to speed and finding some chemistry because i think the forward groups uh there's a lot of things that are are really kind of confusing for this group on the forward side as to who's really going to be that standout player who's going to step up and take the mantle who's going to be the guy that takes the next step i think we have a couple guys in mind you know uh yami kranula zach Okabe. you know are two guys that come to mind does grant crookshank Rekindle a little bit of NCHC success when he comes in in a Saint Cloud sweater. But as I look at this roster, I think more of the potential depth and the biggest growth is going to come from this back end. Your face says maybe
1: otherwise. Uh, do
0: you agree or disagree?
1: No, actually, don't disagree at all. Um, and here's why: you have a very young forward core yeah. um, that's going to be coming in, so you almost are going to have to rely on some def, you know, dependable defensemen that can transition the puck forward, that can make smart decisions, and sometimes it's using your feet right. That was one thing that Nick Pervix was so good at, was sometimes he'd look up and he'd be skating a little bit. You wouldn't see an option. He would just continue to carry the puck. So uh, he was able to exit the zone in multiple different ways, had good first passes, and uh, I think just to take some pressure off of some young forwards are going to have to, well, Learning the NCHC, trial by fire. Um, your defensive core has to be solid, because um, as we know, you, you certainly can't win the NCHC in the first few months, but you can certainly make an uphill battle for yourself if you aren't able to win some hockey games. So the non-conference schedule is going to be incredibly important for this forward group and this defensive core to gel together, really try to figure out what they need to do to execute a game plan. Um, and again, that's going to all start from the back end forward. And You get a big goaltender now, in Dominic Basie, against six foot six, he's going to cover a lot of that mm-hmm. he's athletic but again they're probably looking to maybe sort of bail out the forwards a little bit and uh, uh i actually agree with that take i, I think that you're, you're gonna have to almost you know take the ball from the back end forward and allow your forwards to kind of play catch up and dare i say if they do with some of these uh players that are slated to come in noah if with some yeah. of that talent uh they could be sort of a wee weird dark horse candidate but you know we're, you we're know at who- step 100 and we're we're not even at step one yet
0: yeah. Um, speaking of steps, by the way, this Kirill Kaprizov goal is for real, Nick. I did look it up. Uh, no oh. doubt about this one. But
1: until the NHL, you know, goes back <laughs> later tonight and says, "Oh, by the way, we saw I hit a stick in Game Nine, seventy-five, or some stuff like
0: that." Yeah, exactly. You know, you know who St. Cloud might kind of remind me of moving forward. Reminds me a little bit of maybe the path that Western Michigan took a little bit, where they had some talent on the front end, but they really got grittier on the back end. Had a couple of guys like Michael Joyu and those guys that would, you know, kind of stand out here and there. But by and large, played a more physical shutdown brand of hockey in their own end. And then were able by their defensive structure to kind of let the horses run offensively. And I think a better example of that transition and what that would look like in a couple of years time is the Minnesota wild and the, and the Minnesota Lou Bulldogs, you know, the ability to kind of shut down and then, let let those forwards uh, essentially be able to break out and and make plays there. So uh, really exciting for this group. I think Grant Crookshank, you know, again, we go back to him. It's just he offers uh, a a utilitarian role. And I am honestly really glad he played for the Gophers last year. And the reason I say that is because he was in a – what you would call a diminished role so to speak I guess but he's learned how to play as a middle six guy at this particular moment now now he's able to go wherever Brett Larson needs he's a veteran guy good leader on this team might uh, potentially wear a letter I have no idea Uh, you know heading into the season I think Brett Larson and this crew is is really high on him uh, and he's really high on St. Cloud State uh, you know as St. Cloud is now becoming the CC Tigers 2.0 here but um, you know a lot of things that are really exciting for this group and I, I can't can't, can't wait to uh, see where it ends up. Uh, another team in the NCHC, as we kind of wrap up some color hockey things around, I did want to point this one up in case St. Cloud is looking for another young body that maybe is ready to make the jump uh, on on the forward side. Cole Spicer, decommitting from the University mm-hmm. of North Dakota, a Grand Forks native, uh, playing on the U.S. under-18 team. Cole's a very nice guy. I've gotten to watch him play a couple times. He's nasty. Such a good hockey player. 16 goals, 16 assists, and 50 contests for the U-18 team. Uh, probably going to be a mid- to late-round draft pick uh, in this year's upcoming draft. Um, and really, for those wondering why he decommitted, North Dakota is retooling Lord hard. It. Hard. Jackson Blake, Hurricanes draft pick, uh, just picked up his 75th point of the season. He's nuts. Uh, yeah, he's a stud. Philadelphia draft pick, Owen McLaughlin. Ben Striden is in there. And then Dylan James, who really wasn't a big name to start the season, but could become the first rookie in the USHL to hit 60 points, uh, having a heck of a year, probably projected to be a second or third rounder at this point. Uh, you know, so And then another deep list of forwards, uh, Jaden Perron of the Chicago Steel. And then Jackson Panzer, former Minot Minotaro. Mm-hmm. He's from East Grand. Forks and actually was slated to come back and be the you you essentially you get one tender after their high school season to join the nhl for your playoff run that was supposed to be jackson panzer who had 18 points in like 13 games if i remember correctly and he actually played so well at east grand that he was scooped up and is now playing in the ushl because of how good that he has played so north dakota is going to be a scary 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 hockey team team.
1: if you're st cloud is cole spicer a guy you at least put the feelers out on uh, why wouldn't you? Again, uh, you, you have to at least, you know, at least got to kick the tires. Um, and just a side note, for those who don't know Jackson Blake, yes, he's the son of Jason Blake, former Toronto Maple Leaf, uh, resides in Edina now. Um, I'm not sure if he's actually doing anything as far as coaching or training or anything like that. But uh, yeah, uh, he's got a good teacher. We'll put it to you that way. Uh, he's going to be he's going to be nasty for North Dakota. Yeah, he is
0: uh he's gonna be a very good hockey player too. And then of course, like I mentioned, Owen McLaughlin, his brother, his brother Jack as well. Of course, Owen's playing uh with Sioux Falls, who again we talked about same team as Isaac Posh, who's not having the greatest of season, but Jack McLaughlin uh is playing at the Hills. So um, you know, a, a lot of guys that North Dakota just uh, with with the enamoring prospect of playing in that building for some of these recruits and their recruiting process and and some of the stories that go behind it. It's no secret why North Dakota continues to be one of the best teams in the country. Yes. I said it, it made me gag. And now we're moving on. Uh, other NCHC and Minnesota moves. We only have three to talk about here. Uh, defenseman carter Berger, he's heading from uconn to western michigan that's the only nchc notable piece uh only eight points for him last year he's six foot zero 201 pounds i don't particularly get this move for western michigan he's not a guy that pops out by any means but maybe there's something defensively that they like as they're kind of trying to retool westerns kind of a curious case for next year but uh if anyone has any if anyone has any info on carter Berger, we would love to hear about it because i don't know much about him self admittedly so um Curious to see what the Broncos and Pat Firstweiler are thinking in his second season at the helm in Minnesota news, Midgy state losing Lucas Sillinger, who's going to be a junior to Arizona state. This is a huge loss for that huge 38 points in 37 games for him. I, uh, you know, was going to be one of the primo guys for BSU. Uh, they did get Jackson jetting back from Colorado college, who will be a junior 10 points in 35 games again for the Tigers. So take that with a grain of salt might really increase his production. And what is, Slated to be a weaker conference, uh, but maybe a better team within that conference, too. So he might really kind of uh, produce uh, as he moves closer to home. But Nick, Arizona State, a ton of yeah. pickups for
1: them as of late. You know and, what? And before you get too far into uh, into Arizona State, how about Jack Purbix also entering the, uh, the portal, yeah. also for Minnesota? I would like to see him in a Husky sweater, too, just because he brings a little bit of that tenacity. I not uh, think it's going to happen. It. Don't think I don't think happen. so either. But I, th- I, th- I, I think he drive. goes to NMU. I really do.
0: Okay, because his is it his brother or his cousin is there for his freshman season. So I think that that would be why is that he's headed a Blake is headed to Blake Perbix. A, a, from the St. Cloud Norseman is headed to NMU. So um, the one, uh, also, I saw somebody talk about um, Vietti Mietten's little brother as well, too, uh, coming in. Um, Can we clarify? That's probably not, I I don't know for certain, but I don't think he's ready to make the jump. So a couple people
1: were talking about that. I kind of wanted to revisit that. I thought Al Appleby had mentioned that that was a done deal. (laughs) Actually, like, but for real, actually, I thought that that was. Oh, maybe uh, it is. I I think that was actually kind of a sign-sealed thing that's that well maybe they're bringing them in here's the
0: thing that that's a there's a lot of forwards that potentially are coming in they could be up to 15 uh that could be on the roster if my number is mistaken they need I it mean, they need it yeah well i guess we'll see i i think it's going to be pretty heavy competition to see who really makes this lineup regardless for saint cloud moving forward here but saint cloud is in very snowy country arizona state is a uh, party city in a very warm climate so to speak why are players going to arizona state and is there you know, if you're a Sun Devils fan looking forward into the future of college hockey, is there something bigger afoot here, Nick, that you might know
1: about? As far as like how Arizona State will probably be the only hockey team in Arizona left in a couple of years? Yeah, probably. <laughs> um, no, you know, first of all, Arizona State... Um, has always been sort of a Midwest attraction to go south for young folks looking to, uh, whether it's for academic reasons. They got some really nice programs, including a really good journalism program, the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism, um, just to name one of the many programs that they have. Um, obviously, a Division one powerhouse in the Pac 12, or is it the Pac 10? Sorry, I can't remember. Um, <laughs> it's one of those guys. They're on the Pacific coast, anyways. Uh, yeah. But great, great sports school. Um, again, when you're in Arizona, the weather's, I hear, Pretty decent, not great, but decent. Totally kidding. It's fantastic. Um, <laughs> and then with uh, Arizona State's hockey program, and, and get this, you Noah, know, you talk about how. Each school every year has to actually, you know, publicly disclose some of like their revenues and everything else related to sports. Uh, Arizona State Hockey Team is the third most profitable sport in their uh, in their uh, in their portfolio. So um, and that leads to something a little bit later, I think we'll discuss and that might mean a further trend westward of college hockey, which is long overdue. And uh you can probably thank Arizona state for doing so, because although they're yeah. still technically an independent school, um, it sounds like there's uh, some winds that are being swept up quite rapidly that are might, that might change that in something new completely. So I'm, I'm curious to keep a watch on that, but yeah. be, uh, Noah, if you had an opportunity to go play hockey in college and in a, in a kind of a bigger school, but go to Arizona where you can walk out it's 70 degrees, you can do your morning run and then go inside and play in a brand new venue here coming soon. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, absolutely. And from some of the things that we hear, we're not just talking
0: a school or two out West. We're talking potentially an entire league. Or an entire. Yes.
1: And so, did you want me to divulge on that
0: now? Yeah, okay. I, I, would, I would say go for it because okay. I, I think this will leave fans salivating for the future of college hockey. We talked about the growth, the question marks with the Alaska schools, the question marks with schools like Alabama, Huntsville. Would be hockey, well. hockey
1: has really not trended West so far, but no. that might be changing. So for those of you who have followed me closely, you've noticed that, uh, you know, since the NCHC uh, frozen face up, I've been uh, hopping on a podcast called Southwest college hockey live. Uh, It's run by Scott strandy. Scott strandy is a a former journalist. Uh, He spent 20 plus years in Arizona. Now his first year in Denver um, but essentially has all the contacts, including the Tempe city council, including the Glendale city council. Yes. There's plenty of coyotes tidbits that I know. Um, But effectively um, there is, I forget the name of the gentleman, but there's one predominant person that's been sort of like what you call it. The John Forsen of college hockey in Southwest, uh, the United States. And effectively what we're seeing is now with Lindenwood, which is in Missouri, right? Going D one. Oregon's had a really good club team for a while. Uh, Yes, there is some talk that within the next two years, they're slated to make the jump to division one. And then here's what else we're hearing. We're hearing UNLV, which should not surprise folks with Vegas and everything else. And supposedly the sort of, question mark with them was would there be sort of a, an overexposure of hockey in that area I think with how successful the Vegas Old Knights have been in terms of their community outreach I think those have been squashed um, now with you know Henderson and whatnot I think there's a, a good balance there and then a couple of other names to note uh, how about San Diego State University apparently making the jump yeah, um, And apparently what they're waiting on is the uh, the financial review from Arizona State to look over the numbers for the last three years. We know UCLA as well as I think another school has uh, already done economic studies on the Division One hockey program. So let's just assume all this happens right Noah? So you have what a West Coast Hockey Conference, so the WCHC, that's what I'll call it, what the hell, is you have <laughs> Alaska Fairbanks, you have Alaska Anchorage, you have Air Force, you have Arizona state, you have Lindenwood, UNLV, Oregon, and San Diego state. There's your eight squads. Yeah. And maybe UCLA. That... And maybe UCLA. Yeah. Um, the time frame, um for this, and mind you, a lot of things have to go right for this. Mm-hmm. This is by no means anywhere in concrete would be probably six to 10 years um, for that to take place. And why that's so important. This solves, I think almost for eternity, the problem with the Alaska schools in terms of their traveling and and being in a conference that solves the Air Force problem, that solves Arizona State's independent problem, it really only puts an island on one college hockey team, that is Alabama-Huntsville. They still really haven't found a... A sustainable future as of yet
0: and, and hockey is continuing to grow in the south you had a couple of the you know the schools in florida that potentially could have some teams and you could see that landscape change as well too and i think that the ability to see that progress out west might influence that move i feel like the south southeast is probably the last it would the, be the last move that college is able to make. That would be college thriving at its best. But what a great treat potentially for the Alaska schools as yes. well, too. I, I think there's there's so many great things. Uh, Arizona State has done a hell of a job. To, uh, entering entering and giving themselves a chance to really kind of build for the future, so to speak. Also, we also didn't mention, by the way, this has nothing to do with the West per se. But Lyndon Wood did announce their Division One uh, prospect for their school as well, too. So they'll enter play. I can't remember if it's next year or the year next, after. No, this it, year. It is next year. This so, year. Yep. Yeah. So um, so that's exciting as well. Too. Of course, they are at the division one women's level in terms of those plays already playing St. Cloud State in their women's program. So it's good to see them add the men's program as well. So College Hockey is maybe on the rebound here. And you gotta wonder, Nick. You gotta wonder if the old WCHA doesn't fold, does this conversation actually happen? I know there's been some discussion that the old WCHA was kind of on its way down anyway, and maybe yep. that the split actually had fans uh, able to point their finger at something different than just the natural dissipation of, of the the conference itself. Mm-hmm. I wonder though, if we still have the old WCHA and we aren't used to maybe some of the, the, the shuffle and, and whatever you want to call it that we've had in, in the recent decade or so, Maybe this becomes a more difficult topic than it is currently, but uh, I'm
1: excited. I really am. I think, I don't know if you can point it directly. I do think it has no, some to the hot, conversation. 100% hot take. You heard it here. No, <laughs> right. Well, and, and here's why I say that. Here's what to, for your point of view, right? The NCHC, if the WCHA stays together, because what was it? Colorado College was still there. Um, was Denver was part of it? The old I'm WCHA? To, yeah, I don't think it was. Uh, boy, that's a great question. That's I, thought it. It was, wow, I know CC was um, work. because be uh, the last time I covered the uh, the, the final five in St. Paul, CC upset Minnesota uh, in 2013 at the Exo Energy you, Center. I got you 12 teams here Saint, uh, St. Cloud, Minnesota, North Dakota,
0: Wisconsin, Denver, Minnesota oh, Denver State. Was there okay? Uh, Bemidji, I, I think. Um, Nebraska, Nebraska, Omaha, Colorado College, Minnesota,
1: Duluth, Michigan Tech, Bemidji State and Alaska Anchorage. OK, so yes and no, I think. So let me say it this way, because they kind of c- cut off the Alaska schools. You know, it, it's sort of an indirect thing, right? Um, because, again, uh, was it Fairbanks that had to be kind of saved? Um, no, uh, Anchorage. Anchorage. Okay. Um, but it it is forcing, you know, some of that conversation to go, okay, well, if we're going to be sustainable long-term, um, as independents, they ain't going to work. Right. So, um, it essentially these, these plans, right. Um, both for Huntsville and then for Anchorage, uh, the money they did raise, which is phenomenal to save the programs. A part of that stipulation was there has to be a conference to join. It's gotta be a long-term deal. Right. Um, with the, the way it's in the works, um, for the Alaska schools. If, if what we're hearing actually uh, comes to fruition now, um, I don't think we pay enough attention to the club hockey scene. Um, yeah. you know, and again, you know, cause even if you go just south of the border again, Iowa, Iowa state, they both got club teams and there's a lot of turnout for those squads. Um, and, and, so I think the bigger question is what's this, what take one of the schools that we talked about, Oregon, because they've kind of dominated the division one club team era for a while. What's prevented the school? What's, you know, so what's the economic reasons or anything else that's prevented them from making the jump already. Right. out, um, you know, facilities and everything else, scholarships. I'm sure there's a, a bigger circle of fun that, you know, we just obviously can't cover in one show. Um, but at the end of the day, um, if all this does come to plan, there's a bigger piece to this. Noah. that is, you hate to say it. It goes kind of back to the Arizona coyotes. It really does. Yes, it does. Uh, it does. And I think there is a point to be made that if Arizona can't get their crap together and cannot stay in Arizona, that would have a fundamental large impact on college, mm. oxygen expansion out West. I really do feel that way. Um, just in the sense that it, you know, and it's a mess, it's a mess. It's a mess. There, it's a mess. Yeah. Um, and, you know, could you make the argument that the hockey is kind of done its job? And, you know, if, you know, if there's plans are already in place and it's more of just formality at this point, maybe, but I don't think we're that close just yet again with UNLV, um, with San Diego state, I'm hearing at, they would be part of the, like the last schools that would make the jump with UCLA. Like we're talking five to seven years down the road. Um, Oregon, from what I hear is the closest at t- maybe two to three years. Um, so again, there's still a lot of things that have to go, right um and you kind of wonder to me i think the catalyst school if we take the coyotes out of the uh, the, other conversation i think oregon has to be the catalyst because if you go all the way to the west coast then it's like okay you already have the two jumps across the pond with the alaska schools then if you can get unlv involved yeah and then you have air force you you have conversations now
0: you need one in the northwest you need one in cali i think you know you do and I think Vegas is a good pickup. I had a couple buddies who went to UNLV actually that I played with in college, and their setup there relative to the Golden Knights and just kind of where they're at as a school is a fantastic location for a potential Division One team. That's a that's a school that I can easily see that happening. So
1: and and how about this as a conversation piece? The twenty twenty five or twenty six Frozen Four is in Las Vegas because it's twenty. So next year twenty three Tampa twenty four. St. Paul, twenty-five. St. Louis, so twenty-six. Right? Yeah. It's got to be twenty-six. Has to be twenty-six yeah. for the Frozen Four. Imagine that's about four or five years away. Yeah. Imagine at that Frozen Four, UNLV announces D one. Well, let's yeah. just say Oregon's already happened, and maybe you know the last two to join would be UCLA slash San Diego you have six teams and let's just say air force starts talking to Arizona state, then the Alaska schools in Oregon and now UNLV and they go, crap, we got two more dad guys get on board. We got a conference here. If you have someone pushing the envelope and have like a kind of a a central voice for that. And I do believe that this contact that Scott has talked about, that's kind of been the forefront of Arizona's program to rise. If he's part of that conversation and maybe becomes that commissioner, Um, we're finally across the entire, you know, us in terms of um well except the southeast but that'll be much later but um where's josh huge uh, Josh Fenn apparently <laughs> likes basketball.
0: <laughs> um, well, that sounds a bit ballsy if you know what I mean. Um, you know, I, i am actually funny enough, Nick, I'm actually texting with Caleb Peabody right now and he goes, I told you about Grant Crookshank. I'm like, eh, okay. <laughs> so apparently we're circling back to that now too. But you know, players, players like that, of course, you know, from, coming from Colorado college, you hope that it expands further West. Uh, as we continue on in the college hockey world, we'll kind of save some of more of our Arizona tidbits as those things kind of unfold, but the situation on the NHL side, as not of now, good. not good, not good and not as yeah. hopeful for a uh, potential opportunity in Tempe as we would once hope we're going to head uh more central ish, more sure. south ish uh, sure. NHL news, uh, St. Louis and Minnesota just finishing that game. For those who are curious, Nick, Minnesota losing in overtime this one, but a well-earned point in a a good comeback here. Uh, What does it all mean for the playoff push as these two teams are probably destined to meet in the NHL playoffs? And welcome into the Extra Ice Session episode number 108 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. Nick Maxson alongside Noah Grant here. I only got about 15 to 20 minutes here left in the show. And, you know, one of the things, Nick, uh, that it's kind of been refreshing to at least do the show this week is here in Minot. We, I think we had the record for the most snow in the Midwest in the recent snowstorm. We got 37.2 inches of snow here in Minot, North Dakota. And Nick, Recording here on Saturday night, we have another winter warning. We're supposed to get 8 to 10 inches in the next couple of days, so we just cannot catch a break. It is absolutely (laughs) insane, but uh, um, at least we'll have some hockey to be watching here as Minnesota and St. Louis head down the stretch here. St. Louis getting that extra point in the game today here as we record on Saturday at 100 points in the standings, Minnesota at 99, Minnesota one more game in hand and one less regulation win one more regulation loss and three less overtime finishes. So um yeah, a very very tight running here uh, as we as we've gone through. So uh, these two teams uh kick the absolute crap out of each other today in this hockey yep. game It'll, in a very wild finish, Nick um and Not I was unintended. thinking and I was yeah and right. I was thinking about this. Actually, before the St. Louis game, and it kind of became more apparent with the special team success here, Minnesota and St. Louis have taken very different paths to get here. Minnesota, statistically, in a lot of categories besides Goals 4, is not a juggernaut in a lot of areas. In fact, nope. they're really poor statistically in a lot of areas, you know, in terms of special teams, face-off, things like that. But they found success and their ability in one-goal hockey games and their ability with a goaltender pole as well, too, has lended some success, giving themselves a chance, Nick. So, meanwhile, St. Louis, about as consistent of a well-oiled machine as you could get at this time of the season, a hard, heavy team, a good mix of speed and skill. This is a matchup that has a chance to go to di- the distance here, and it's kind of a scary, scary, pr- you know, prospect for I think both of these clubs looking at the other team. Uh, Nick, what do you, uh,
1: what do you expect? Do these two teams, first of all, do they get each other in the first round? They do. I just yeah. I don't see how Nashville and Dallas catch them. Uh, for those wondering, point spread-wise, uh, St. Louis actually with this overtime win also clinches officially a spot in the Stanley Cup playoffs uh, at 100 points even, although they have played 75 games to the Wild at 99 points, but one less game play. Uh, so at the end of it, uh, to me, uh, this is this is the two because if you go down the list, it's Nashville at 75 games played, 91 points and Dallas, 89 points with 74 games played. That's, yeah. uh, at this point this season, I just don't expect. Uh, really that to to sway anyways and you know how about this uh, for for Vegas fans right um, 75 games play currently up in Edmonton they're down three nothing to the Oilers uh, they're two points behind a wild card but how about this they're only a single point below the Los Angeles Kings for the third spot in the Pacific uh, so and actually the Kings have one more game played so uh, yeah. Vegas is game today could be pretty huge. Uh, Los Angeles yeah. will be in action later uh, tonight as well. I believe they are hosting. Yes, they're hosting the Columbus Blue Jackets. So uh, there is uh, still a way for Vegas to get in via uh, essentially the Pacific Division, Noah. But uh, yeah. for the Minnesota Wild, I do think it's Blues in Minnesota. And you, I know a lot of onus gets put on having home ice. Um, I do think that that would be something that any team would want, especially – uh, for St. Louis, uh, this is I, I think it's huge for both huge. Teams. It's yeah. huge, uh, especially for matchups um, and, and for Minnesota wild playoff fandom that just has never really <laughs> loved everything about this team. And the one time they did have some success 2003, I don't think anybody expect them to have the success that they did. Yeah, uh, but I do feel like uh, home much could be huge so if Minnesota can get back on the winning ways and get a break from St Louis uh you know maybe they drop a game here I think Minnesota's off for the next couple of days um actually no they're back tomorrow uh, hosting uh San Jose so they go back home it's a back to back uh so San Jose uh oh boy uh, they're I don't think they're Limited officially from the playoffs, but if they are, I mean, they're well out. They're not going to make the playoffs this year. Um, trying to play spoiler a little so, uh, gonna have to have a, a well rested Minnesota squad coming off of a unfortunate loss against St. Louis. And these two teams yeah. right now are the matchup. You know, what's interesting is St. Louis and Minnesota are tied
0: for the fourth most wins on home ice in the National Hockey League. They're 21, 26. They are, Ooh, wow, they are, they're one behind Toronto and Carolina. Um, at a colorado's at 30 and florida's at 32 so you kind of talk about how Florida, home how, how, impo- how important home <laughs> ice is how about this on the road to st louis 19 wins on the road minnesota has 20 wins on the road I was so, saying,
1: yeah, one road record. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah so
0: these these two teams have really have really battled it battled it out uh, minnesota going to the extra session and the shootout a lot more times than the blues have the blues a very good overtime team as they demonstrated today as well so You know, a lot of things that that play into the factor here. Um, You know, out of all the teams in the Central, for whatever reason, uh, Minnesota really struggles with Nashville. So I I don't know that you really want the Preds for whatever reason. No. I I take Dallas, but they're not going to get there. Um, And I'd honestly in a weird way I think I'd take Colorado over St. Louis just the way these two teams have really kicked the crap out of each other this is going to be a heavy heavy first round series and uh, I don't know who it favors I feel like whoever has home ice that might be the difference maker unless the special teams advantage and face-off advantage is so huge for St. Louis that Minnesota can't find enough puck up or enough whatever the heck they sprinkled into their Gatorades in period number three today to claw their way back into a hockey game.
1: And not to mention, too, still some major players off from Minnesota. I don't believe Matt Dumba is back. Uh, There's still t- Jordan, uh, Greenway. Jordan Greenway, John Merrill also. Um, you know, and this is the part, right? We can take a look at one hockey game, but you got to remember, too, that the playoffs are a best of seven, right? So over yeah. a long Min- series.
0: Minnesota
1: is 0-8-3 uh, in their last 11 against St. Louis. Yeah, so yeah. – that that's concerning. And uh, again, with what we talked about before, this is with, without basically either of these teams essentially losing out in either Dallas or um, Nashville winning out, which is not going to happen. Uh, this is going to be the two, three matchup in the central first round. Um, I think over a seven-game series, I do think it still favors the Blues just because of the way that they have that grit plus that skill. I mean, David Perron, man, what a catalyst he has been for St. Louis. was actually uh, one of the big catalysts when Vegas had their inaugural season, too. I think David Perron was one of the most underrated pickups that they had um, in that expansion draft slash the trade deadline um, acquisition. So uh, Perron continue to light it up because Sanko has been coming on hot lately. they got young guys like, was it, uh, Tom, uh, was it Mike Thomas? Robert Thomas. Robert Thomas. Thank you. I keep Jeez. Can you tell me? Thomas the one? train? Thomas the train, yes. So <laughs> um yeah, Robert Thomas and then uh, is it uh not Boochnavich? It's uh yeah Buchnevich is good. Yeah, I know I'm thinking oh no, yeah, because Booch was the former ranger that was traded. I'm thinking of uh Barbashev. Barbashev, yeah. a little bit of that sandpaper guy. They've got uh, and then obviously Falk in the back end, uh, you know, just one of the many pieces they have, uh, it was, it was Colton, Parego, you know, man, you know, I really like his game too.
0: You know, normal, normally, normally we pull up the Minnesota wild stats, by the way, in case you forgot, Kroka, Kaprizov has 93 points in the season not too Nuts. shabby Matt Zuccarello approaching 75 here. What a, what an incredible turnaround it has been for him. Kevin Fiala, uh, is approaching 70 points as well if he hadn't hit it already today. So uh, can we get that man re-signed? Um, but speaking of re-signings, how about the fact the Blues and their journey, right? You know, you have a goaltender who has essentially stolen the net from Jordan Bennington and Billy Huso and the way that he has played, oh. a two-three-seven GAA and a 9 2 save percentage. Let's he has go. been electric uh, heading down the stretch here. Vladimir Tarasenko was essentially pretty much signed, still, and delivered to have his contract shed somewhere else for not a lot of return for the St. Louis group. He leads the team with 72 points right in front of robert thomas was 71 before today's contest and then Booch navis jordan kairu uh in his Cairo, all-star yep. mm-hmm. season has been
1: impressive david perron continues to have a good year so and wasn't know, it tarasenko too nuts butt in? but didn't he request a trade to um, yeah, this did. last summer yes he did yeah he mm-hmm. did and it's been it's been
0: one heck of a turnaround here but you know i you gotta really credit um uh, general manager Armstrong and the ability that he has in St. Louis to stay patient, trust along with Craig Barubi in this plan for the St. Louis Blues. there's a reason they want a cup in 2019. There's a reason that they're now a uh, perennial contender for a Stanley Cup yeah. season and in, in and season out. this is a scary matchup for the Minnesota Wild. however, sense. I think this wild team is more well equipped than in years past to potentially handle this challenge. Ironically enough, If memory serves me correct, the best team in Minnesota Wild history in terms of offensive production was actually 2016-17, and that is the last Mm -hmm. time the Wild actually matched up against the St. Louis Blues, and they absolutely handled the Wild in five games in that series, uh, escaping game one by the skin of their teeth and then running away with that series pretty much from then on out. This Minnesota Wild team is different. They have the same offensive production, but they seem like they can handle firewagon hockey as opposed to teams that we've known in years past here. Nick, you said before that this seven game series maybe favor St. Louis. If you're mm-hmm. in the wild locker room, you get this matchup in round one, what do you got to do to make sure that regardless of how many games as it is, you're the first team to four wins.
1: Uh, I think it's going to come down to a uh, commitment to the physical part of the game, honestly. And I really do think it's going to be about uh, between the blue lines. I think at the neutral zone, is going to be huge in this, uh, not only for the while in terms of just keeping it simple, ducking down, but then also maintaining puck possession, but more so for St. Louis. Uh, the, the, you know, they're not a very much a different team. Uh, do they have you know some star players? Yeah, you mentioned Jordan Cairo, again, Terry Senko, uh, uh, Robert Thomas, again, just name a few. But uh, again, this team plays uh, a bigger game than their stature, um, and they like to pound you. Kind of, they almost remind me of Western Michigan uh, a little bit in terms of how they play the play the game. And uh, and this is where, like today, you really miss guys like John Merrill and Matt Dubba on the back end to really kind of take away uh, some of that advantage and be able to kind of you know as uh, goes go. go Toe to toe with these guys, especially behind the goal line, so uh, it's going to be about you know taking and delivering hits and then really forcing St. Louis to play defense. I think if you can kind of hem them in their zone and wear them down below their own goal line, and then just kind of force them to defend, to dump out, and change uh, to really kind of take away the terror Sankos of the world and some of their production. They also give from the blue line, such as. Uh, Colton Pareko and the others such Justin Falk. Uh, that's that's the key, and if you can weather the storm, especially the first couple of games, uh, I think you're going to force St. Louis to kind of get away from uh, that heavy grind style, forcing them to play a little bit more open hockey, and that's what favors Minnesota in that matchup. So the first two games would be critical, but that's how you would do it. You know, I
0: kind of look to see where regular season success translates into playoff performance. I imagine we'll see a much I, and I thought he wasn't even bad last year, but a much more calm and composed Kiril Kaprizov as he enters this playoff realm. Kevin Fiala poses to be a factor here. One player that I have my eye on here, Nick, that's Matt Boldy. And the, I reason, I, same the, name. the reason I bring him up, right, he does have, oh, let's see, four, five, six. He has seven points in his last six games. So he has had some production as of late. Before that, he had a stretch where he had six games without a point and one point in a stretch of eight games essentially in there as well he's had a good season no doubt especially for the regular season here at times uh with that line it feels like freddie Gaudreau, who's having a whale of a year by the way yes uh, and and kevin fiala have kind of been the one-two duo and matt boldy has kind of been an accessory piece on that line mm-hmm. it makes me a little nervous as we've gone through how is he going to perform in the playoffs? Because at times I feel like even in the regular season, he becomes a little bit invisible. Maybe becomes a little bit opportunistic, which is a good thing in the playoffs. Sometimes you need that guy to pop when you don't expect it. But the physicality piece has not been a huge part of his game. Obviously big wingspan, good size, able to protect the puck well, but he's not a guy where – He's a buzzsaw, annoying Nat to play against. I think Kevin Fiala has kind of turned into a player like that. Freddie Goudreau is definitely the definition of that, where he's hard in on- Eric Sinek. Yeah, exactly. And Eric Sinek's having a great season as well, too. Matt Boldy is, dare I say, in some senses, the key to the cog for moving into playoff time, for this line to continue to one hundred percent. He has to find a way- to be able to handle the playoff pressure, to be hand, able to handle limited time and space, to be able to handle the physicality that St. Louis is going to bring in this in this matchup here should they get the Blues in the first round. I think he's going to be a pivotal piece. My last point here, and I'm trying to buy myself some time, I wanted to see what his stat line was today um, because that Fiala-Goudreau-Bowley line was, they were okay tonight, but they weren't exactly electric. So um, Matt Bowley well, today. Well, while well, well, you, know, you do that. He had a point today. He was dash one. So with two giveaways in 12 minutes of ice time. So uh, I'd like you to expand a little bit for the listeners on why we're kind of making this point here, because Matt Boldy,
1: for such a young guy, you wouldn't think he'd have such a big piece in the playoff success, but he really could. Well, in fact, he holds the key to both Fiala and Goudreau, right? Yep. You know, it's when you have an offensive line, uh, Matt Bully, he's looked good. Again, you mentioned he's really good at protecting pucks, uh, making smart decisions with it, not trying to do too much, right? Uh, the playoffs is going to be a different animal. Um, Kaprizov learned that last year. Um, I think he's definitely ready for it this year, and I think it also helps you play a team like Vegas where, I mean, we forget, too, that Vegas was kind of pushing Minnesota Wild uh, around last year, and, you know, they – were equal to the task for the most part, but just ran out of gas in game yeah. seven. Um, I, I think you're gonna see a very similar matchup against St. Louis and Minnesota. And for Matt Boldy, if you're gonna really uh, create the depth, Aka depth. Yes, I'm talking to uh, some some, <laughs> some certain national panels. Um, right. Um, but at the end of it, he is the key for that depth piece, right? If he can even just make a first pass out of the zone, if he's the winger receiving that breakout pass, he can find it and not get scared or you know not get pummeled over, get afraid to, to take a hit, right? If he can spring Fiala and Goudreau can come in and help, there's a lot that's there um, that can either make this line formidable and at least a threat to score, even though maybe they don't or a line that's kind of a defensive liability, and they're always caught deep, and they can't get out of the zone, and they're just there to, you know, uh, be sort of the ringer for the St. Louis Blues. So he's a big part of it. Again, with all rookies, we'll have to wait and see how he handles the pressure, but uh, I think at this point, you know, I'm confident. Uh, but again, he, he's going to have to learn yep. to play a little bit more of that sandpaper type game if he's going to have success here in the postseason.
0: The Wild also really need another body who I'm excited that we finally get to say this. They're going to need Jordan Greenway back. Yes, they are because what he's brought to the table this season has been very underrated. Only has 23 points on the year. But when he is in the lineup, he has been the big rig and a half. The trucking company has been moving at full force this season for number 18 in the green and wheat. So I think he's going to be another pivotal piece come playoff time here here nick um i we only have about two minutes left here in the show because of some obligations and some gremlins that we had in the show today so we apologize for that uh nick before i send it to the outro is there anything you wanted to add about the nhl playoffs the minnesota wild anything that you want to talk about i know the eastern conference is so riveting i get it but is there anything else uh besides what's going on in the east that you want to talk about
1: well how about this could you imagine this? So I, there's been a lot of comparisons right now between the NBA playoffs in terms of their structure and could the NHL do the same thing? I kind of want them to do this. Um do you know what they've yeah. uh, what they have done where 7
0: plays 10, 8 plays 9 and then the winners of those two play each other for the final spots essentially. Yeah, yeah.
1: Essentially. Yeah. So yeah. I think at some point um why not, right? There's extra ticket revenue. Um it creates a little bit more of that wild well, I, I my answer, is, my answer is no. Well, because you're, you're a purist. The, I get it.
0: The, not that. The reason being is that hockey, statistically, among the four major sports in North America, has the highest percentage of an outcome of a single game related to luck related to specific like bounces, like plays that happen. Puck luck essentially is what you would call it. Versus basketball is actually a game with the least number of luck involved because skill trumps all. We've seen the super teams that take championship after championship. That's where I think maybe that concept is a little more suited to the NBA. I love the concept in general. I don't disagree with it. I think the problem is you would have to have a three-game series, so to speak, maybe more akin to baseball where you could really hash that out. Because I think one game, you know, if you have, uh, for example, uh, if we we pull it up here, you know, seven versus ten, the the point disparity is huge. But if you play poorly for one game, I, I get the premise of it, but I think it kind of detracts from what a great season some of these teams
1: have had could college hockey do it? This is where I was leading to. Could college hockey do this to incorporate more teams into the postseason? I would be more interested to do it in college hockey simply because
0: of the fact that there, uh, there maybe is a little bit more parity in, in the top twenty, so to speak, for college hockey. And beyond that, they're they're used to the single elimination, single game format. You know. Yep. I, I honestly think, uh, as well. I know we've seen the NCAA playoffs the most exciting part of the NCAA playoffs, in my opinion, is the first round, the best of three series. And I think after that, it loses some luster besides, you know, a potential riveting game all at 2019 at the Excellent energy center, you know? So I, I I'm, I'm kind of in between I, I I'm, I'm torn on it. If that makes sense. In fact, I, I wanted to see uh conference standings. I wanted to pull it up. Obviously we're looking at the West right now, not the East. So right now Dallas would actually get Vancouver who is at 84 points. And the winner of that game is in the, is in the seventh spot. And then Los Angeles would get Vegas, which would be a heck of a hockey game, obviously. Yep. And then, um, and then, uh, who is it? The loser of Dallas and Vancouver gets the winner of LA and Vegas. Correct. Yeah. So, yeah, and actually, Nashville would be well safe in the Western Conference in sixth place right now. They would actually get Calgary in the first round. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, it's interesting, but I think that you know, like Dallas has eighty nine points, uh, and Vancouver has eighty four. I don't know. I like like. Are you comfortable saying that you know Dallas should be playing Vancouver? I don't think
1: Vancouver's had a very great season this year. They're lucky to be where they are in a lot of senses. You know, I I think well with the coaching change and uh, obviously some front office changes, they've they've turned their season around yeah. and uh, you know it, it or, would, it's or, kind of a. Or what would it? What would it look like in the East, right? Number ten,
0: Columbus is playing number seven, Pittsburgh. In the point disparity, ninety-seven to seventy-six.
1: Like that's well, the East <laughs> is all locked up, besides the two wild cards too. So whatever. I don't. Yeah. That's that's an anomaly too. Um, but I, I, I at the end of it, I just want to see more hockey. That's what I'm trying to do. Um, yeah. Should 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 they? Last question. Should they go back to the one through eight
0: format? I don't let people have been clamoring for that because, as we know, with the divisional format, the the. If you have five teams that are the best out of the top eight in their specific division
1: relative to the conference, they're going to be in the playoffs in the one through eight format anyway. So if that is the case, right? So that means that, you know, you have Colorado, St. Louis, Calgary, Minnesota, Edmonton, National, Dallas, Los Angeles as your top eight, which means you have Colorado and Los Angeles, St. Louis, Dallas, Calgary, National. And how about this? The Minnesota Wild hosting the Edmonton Oilers. Yeah. If that is the if that goes back to the old format, um, you know, and it there, it doesn't change anything the, as the, far as you still have it. It does though. Five teams from the same division. I think in. it does in the sense that the first round is generally one of the most exciting rounds because so
0: many teams are playing in the it's, playoffs. Well, right? what I mean is, but, it's, but, it's but then you the hit teams the, getting in right, but then you hit the second round, and that's where you start to see maybe the primo interdivisional
1: matchups. Versus them happening right away. Correct. Yes. So, yeah. and, and I think, uh, I don't disagree with that. So for example, if it was East, it'd be Florida, Washington, one and eight, Carolina, Pittsburgh, Rangers, Boston, which would be hell. And how about this Toronto, Tampa? That'd be a hell of a match. Um, so, I mean, I think there is yeah. a conversation there. Um, you know, I don't know why, you know, besides the wild card. I mean, I, I really forget the reason why the NHL went to this format, the top three, Travel. Um was it travel? I believe it's, it's travel the, the freaking playoffs. We, because because it limit it limits
0: uh it limits one of those it basically only one team potentially would have to travel that would be the top team, and they might end up getting a wildcard team that would potentially still be in their division anyway. So oh, fair.
1: Yeah. Um so I, I think I think I mean travel's part of it. You you go to play for the playoffs, let's have the better matchups in my it just whatever. So um it'd be kind of fun to see it go back. Um, do I think it's happening, no? Uh, we clearly need to go back to the pool of 24, Nick, obviously. I do. <laughs> clearly. So.
0: Yeah, that, w- that will do it for episode number 108. Speaking of playoffs, by the time that we come back for episode 109, we'll be a day away from some NHL first round action in the playoffs. We'll know where the Minnesota Wild sit. We'll know where everything is related to them. And we are excited to bring you all of it. We're taking a week off next week and we hope to see you back in a couple weeks. For Nick Maxon, I'm Noah Grant, and we'll see you back for episode number one
1: hundred and nine. One timer they score. in a bomb from So Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores. Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. Alongside. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Krill, the thrill is for real. Welcome to the NHL. A game winner. St. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.